0: Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 39. On this episode I have Nate Weishart of Ernie Williams and John Hawkins of Martin Sullivan. We're going to talk about 2017, do a little bit of a year review here and get these two guys' feel of kind of what the corn and soybean belt are going to look like moving into 2018 and, and uh, how they felt 2017 worked out and, and maybe some do's and don'ts they're going to take back uh, from 17 and 18. So, John and Nate, Thanks for being on the podcast. You, man. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. So, Nate, as you take a look back at, at 2017, did it end with, with the way you thought it was going to end, or did or was there some pleasant surprises there?
1: I'd say it didn't end the way I hoped, um, but it didn't, I mean, really, basically, given the day, we were flat year over year. Our market share industry was our industry was flat, and our net income was sales department was flat, um, and I it's no, um, can't really put my finger on it, but I had higher expectations going into the year, I guess. Um, so I, I guess it wasn't worse, which was is, a which is nice change of events compared to previous years, but um, I was really kind of hoping for a, a better uptick, I guess you'd say.
0: So, John, now you've moved into a little bit of a different role. Um, over the course of 2017. So your perspective, I'm sure, has changed um, a little bit from what it was at the beginning of 2017. So as you look at your business, you know, you're know you still looking at used equipment, you're still doing that stuff, but you also have a, a larger marketing role with your company. How do you think 17 finished up and what are some key takeaways that you see there moving into 2018?
2: Sure, sure. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, 2017 uh, was a transitional year for us. Uh, 2016 was... A year that uh, some of us have all, all experienced—a year we wanted to forget—was um, writing our inventory, um, writing some of our sales processes and whatnot in 2016. So 2017 was a transitional year where uh, we're able to get some growth back again. Uh, 2016 we not, might not have sold as much new just from the fact we had too much used. Uh, we went into 17 in a better position with uh, with used equipment and uh, able to grow a little bit from a standpoint of uh, of uh, where we we're at, and uh all in all, we we're happy with uh with seventeen. I think there's some things we can learn from and grow from, but uh as we continue to uh to transition in eighteen, I still think we have uh custom growth opportunities in front of us that uh that we didn't have in seventeen
0: so twenty seventeen some biggest hurdles that I had our inventory issue flipped on me, and it was something that I probably saw coming but Hadn't quite conditioned my brain to be ready for yet, right? So, as used equipment folks, we're always you're always on the lookout for what do I have too much of, how much do I need to move, when do I need to move it, all those kind of things. What's my washout cycle look like? You, my know? big problem that I ran into in 2017 was the fact that I didn't have enough inventory or don't have enough inventory to basically you know complete washout cycles. I'm either I'm either so heavy on one end of the spectrum or the other. You know, I don't have the late model low hour stuff or I don't have the middle range stuff or I don't have the um, the the older stuff that guys might be looking for. I don't have a consistent spread across my inventory, which oddly enough is as much of a daunting task to correct as having too much inventory that I'm now that I've been doing this for a little bit now and trying to figure this whole thing out. So when you take a look at your guys' inventories what do you see as some strong points and some weak points of your inventories? How do you plan to correct those? Nate, we'll start with you first.
1: Um, so, I hundred percent spot on. Agree with you. There are times throughout the year where I was just like, God, like we need a thirty series tractor. You know, we couldn't couldn't get our hands on one, or we were trying to find a, an early series track, like a row crop tractor, and we just just struggled to seemed like our inventory was all the same. Um, and we got that a little bit, somewhat adjusted. But now, like, I look at, like, a older 6-series combine, like, they just fell off the map. Like, the, there's no home for a 9660 or a 9670 right now. And that may change by summertime, and I'll be wishing I had more. But it just seemed like that product fell off the map. Um, and then the, like, 20... I don't know, I'll just say like twenty, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, 15, 16, early or smaller R tractors. We really struggle with those on the U side. Um, it just seems like the, in our neck of the woods, guys just don't put enough hours on them when they plant, you know, for the year. Um, maybe they do a little bit of spraying with them, but for the most part, you know, they're top, we're talking about putting 150 to 250 hours at most on it. And so they just don't necessarily need to upgrade that unit yet. And it was, those were the, those are the markets that like you just scratching your head trying to figure out what to do. But believe it or not, like we've talked in the other uh, podcast, planters aren't that bad. Um, I can handle a planter. And uh, if you look at newer, like 680s, 690s, those aren't bad rigs to have on your, on your lot, but it just seems like we hit these gaps where, and I don't know if it's a financial gap where the guys can't afford that payment with $3, barely $3 corn, or I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just seems like there's these spots where the number gets too big for people and they just really don't have to upgrade those yet. But maybe by July, I'm singing a whole different song. So, um, but there, there are some bright spots, and
2: in planters was probably one of them.
0: John, are you seeing similar stuff, or, or where, where are you at right now? I guess with your
2: yeah, yeah, you know, you and I have talked about this. Started talking about it probably back what? Uh, Casey probably in June, July. We're starting to say, hey, we're we don't, we're running out of some marks and uh, some equipment mixes, and uh, and um, uh, you know, I think anybody can go out and look at the. Look at the inventories, you know, North America wide and uh, and from a macro level and see that there's some gaps in the market, and um, there really are. And, and, you know, the whole thing is, is can you capitalize on those gaps? That's the challenge. That's what we're all trying to figure out how to do it because those most sought-after pieces where the use inventory gaps are Sometimes the hardest to get, or as we talked about, you know, three years ago when we were saying, well, we got to slow down used, we so to we got to slow down new, we got to slow down new, we got to slow down new to ease the use pressures. Sometimes there's just not that inventory out there. Uh, it can't be found. They we didn't, they didn't make enough new to support the, the used demand that's going down and that's coming down the road. So um, it's it's the, the struggle is is as salespeople, uh, out, out on the road every day is trying to, uh, trying to fill and, and, and bridge those gaps with, uh, either different models, uh, late, later model equipment. That's that's tough to do. Like, uh, like, uh, what was said earlier, um, that, uh, sometimes a customer when you're trying to bridge a gap with a later model piece of equipment, uh, with, with the current market status we're in, that's hard to do. And, uh, but as, as time goes on we'll figure out a way i'm sure and if we if we want to survive we'll figure out a way so that'll that'll come
0: nate you, i think you hit a trend that i'm watching very closely right now the new series of of planner that's out you know with the electric row units and and seed placements and all these different things that are out there now uh, that technology now is is going to be coming on its third season and there's going to be some of those used, used machines out there that are going to start showing up, and how are those going to affect the planner marketplace? Moreover, how is the precision planning into the business? Um, you know, with a lot of deer dealers and, and case dealers alike have, have jumped into being a precision dealer, they saw Damn. it being a pretty good opportunity for them, and there's going to be some, you know, marrying of. Of uh, some competitive strengths here that they have. So, two trends I'm watching. One is what the 15, 16, 17 model used planners are gonna look like, whether they're Exact Emerge or you know ME5 or whatever it might and be. And <clears throat> also, the older planner marketplace being the 2008, 9, 10, 11, those with Row Command, and then guys that are gonna start adding you know, precision components to those planners. And how is that gonna affect that marketplace? My opinion is that marketplace is going to get probably a little bit cheaper. So guys are going to try to buy those those planters cheaper than they've been buying them in the past, so they can spend the thirty or fifty thousand dollars that it costs to to make that planter become what a a fifteen or sixteen or seventeen month planter looks like. So, what is your thought process on that, and and where do you think that end of the market's going to go? And and John, I'd like your opinion on this just because of, of your transition that you've had here, moving into more. Yeah marketing in and, and really looking at that, that aftermarket business.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I uh, said, you've said, uh, the, the planner market, we're, there's some real gaps there and, uh, we're gonna have to figure out how once again, transition those gaps. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to make a, a big push on, uh, on our, our customers. You go out to your customer, we, we, them give a price the new planner that planners too expensive for them. that we, we might, uh, next thing is, is, Go to the uh, the retrofit kits that John Deere offers uh, to try to, get, to try to match those solutions with them. In some cases, uh, that's, that's a real education uh, game there because um, we're behind the curve as John Deere dealers of uh, of you know promoting value of our retrofit kits compared to what uh, Precision planning did for the last few years. So a lot of guys understand the, the value of uh, of retrofits of precision, and not as much of. The values of John Deere. Our, our first goal is to push. not to its push is to try to offer the solution of uh, of John Deere retrofit kits. And uh, ultimately, if we uh, if we can get that done, we're we're satisfied as uh, meeting the needs of the customer and, and, our, and the manufacturer partner we're working with. And lastly, if that customer just doesn't see um, the opportunity to. Uh, to want to put on John Deere, we're gonna we're going to give them a precision solution because the alternative of us not giving them a precision solution is for them to have a touch point with a uh, an Ico or a, a Case dealer or a or a C dealer who can be a person of influence for them in selling precision equipment. You know, we want to be the the total solution provider uh, for that customer when they're looking at the when they're looking at buying equipment new equipment used equipment uh, parts or service so uh, we've really focused in on the, in, you know and uh, offering the whole the whole account solution there when we looking at planners because uh, we can't just go out there and say hey you need a 16 that you want to buy a one you want to buy a one year old 16 row exact emerge uh, uh, we don't have that planner that planner is hard to find and if we were to find one and buy one from a dealer it's probably not going to be feasible for that customer anyway so it's, it's bridging that gap once again that we're trying to do
0: so Nate, on your end of the, of the spectrum i so, mean yeah. you look at the planner marketplace how is the whether mm-hmm. the factory solution or a retrofit solution or a precision solution the reason mm-hmm. i'm so hung up on these planners is is strictly because it is a light year leap in technology that you go from when you when you look from a, a 2014 planner and you jump into a 2015 planner they're so dynamically different that what they you can't even compare the two it's just you can't if they're there there's too many differences technologically there's too many differences in the 15 that the 14 can't even can't even come to the table with so in in the world that we live in now where planning windows are just all over the place they get shorter and every day how is that affecting your market in and what are you doing to combat that?
1: Well, I guess when I think of the for expensive planter market, which we'll talk about, is exact emerge or the electric drive planters, we haven't sold that I many exact emerges. Um, guys, look at those prices, and they kind of just get cold feet over it. But what's interesting is still we've sold a regular ME planter, and we've sold those just like we have since this 15 or 2014, um, nobody seems to, I'm surprised the number of guys who haven't got excited about Jack to merge around here. But, I mean, we're talking about the geography here is so flat, so black, so square. I mean, I, I grew up down where John works, and, I mean, when I came up here, I thought people just got 200 bushel by just, like, throwing it on top of the ground and watching it rain. Um, they just, they're able to produce great yields up here with the soil tax they got. And, um, you know, it just even the precision market, you know, as far as the sets and all that good fun stuff, the guys that trade them in, we don't see them that often. Um, I don't know if that puts us behind the times or what, but, um, it's just been a slow adop- adoption curve. Um, and maybe that'll explode here over the next year or two. But um I just been I've been surprised how slow we've adopted up in this part of the world. But I, I think part of it's just, just look at our geography and um and a lot of guys don't want to run ten miles an hour. Um they're okay with running four and a half and um they've spent a lot of money repairing their planters, which is good. I like that part. Right. Um but they just haven't got over the top excited about retro on them out you know that that cost is can be pretty expensive and i know john Deere doesn't probably want to hear that but uh we've, we've had a hard time overcoming the retro kit cost uh, compared to well i might as well just get a new planer and just get a regular me5
0: yeah. auction market wise so when i looked at 2017 uh it going out of, coming out of 2016 into 2017 i felt pretty positive that the uh auction markets were on their way up and they were going to continue to increase throughout the year based on what we saw in the last two, three months of the year. Um, I don't, don't want to say that they fell off any, but they didn't gain anything um, basically through August. I mean, a few I watched a few auctions in, in August of, of 17 and I was like, holy crap, it's, it's, this is awful you know that things have things are not looking good and if this continues this way our end of the year is going to be brutal right and lo and behold all of the negative things about the corn crop that we heard dramatically changed all that so um it went from being we're not going to raise a crop we're just concerned about the crop we're concerned about pollination we're concerned about this to well guess what guys we're going to add another five bushels to the per acre yield so Going into the last month, really December, last part of November, um, it seemed like I felt like I felt pretty good about auction prices. I watched that Sullivan auction here this uh, this afternoon for a little while and um, tried to buy a few pieces off there. But there was a seemed like those went pretty well. Tractors went good. Um, it looked like some planters were on there that went pretty well, but there weren't many people there to buy combines today. So let's take a look at what you guys see happen through the auction marketplace and did it end up better than, than what you ultimately thought it was going to be um, as, as 2017 progressed. So Nate, what's your thoughts on that? And, and where do you see it headed?
1: Um, this, I think just like everybody else, I watched the Sinclair auction and the SEMA auction and kept track of every single piece <laughs> compared to what we had in our inventory. When I got done, I was like, huh, well, it went pretty close to what I thought it was going to, and it could have been a lot worse so i thought that was like really super encouraging to be honest um i'd still so i guess overall i don't see the market gotten itself out that much anymore i mean i think we pretty much figured out what the depreciation on these units are from a wholesale or an auction standpoint everybody's got a pretty decent feel what whatever a 2014 s670 with thousand hours is going to go for um we're all we're all getting that figured out and that's that's good um, I still, you know, I don't know if this is a podcast, the time or the place, but maybe it's over more beers. I still, and I'm guilty of this a hundred percent, but if you see a combine go for 125,000 and you go on a tractor house and the average one's listed for 175,000, I think as an industry, we need to start adjusting that because it's hard for us as dealers to own that piece properly when that gap is so big. Um, and I get passionate about that subject and I'll talk for hours about it, but, um, I think as an industry, we need to start probably adjusting our retail values now that we know what auction or wholesale prices really are. I think everybody was afraid to lower them because they really didn't know. And, you know, what if you make a mistake and things like that? But I think from a, I guess it's called a depreciation schedule. We all, we all know what that thing's going to be worth now. It's getting, you know, the volatility is gone. And uh, and I, again, we can price all of our used where we want to, but I mean, come on. If a tractor sold for a hundred thousand dollars, and the average one on tractor house is two we've we've got that's probably something we need to work on as an industry. Um, and that, that's, I guess, my overall opinion. But I for what the auction went for, it didn't it didn't catch me that much off guard. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is this 2012 S670. It's gonna break. It's gonna fall below the one hundred thousand dollar mark eventually. Um, maybe not this year, but sure as heck, probably this time next year we'll be talking about that. Um, just some, some of the stuff's just getting age on That's all there is to it.
0: You know, when I watched this Sullivan auction today. There were there were some. There was one combine on there that I was watching it, and I uh, wasn't there to see what it looked like or what it was, and it might have just been a bad day to sell combines. But there was a. I'm trying to find here a 13 model um, S670 that had, I can't remember what it had, 15 or 1600 separator hours on it. And, you know, two wheel drive rig, typical Midwest machine, you know, and it brought 108,000 bucks, you know. So when you look at what you're saying there, Nate, that machines are going to start bringing less than 100,000, we were pretty close to that today. Now, not not all of them did that, but those particular machines that the one I'm talking about there, it, it did. And I was, I was really shocked that it brought like that. So John, what are your, what are some of your thoughts on the 2017 auction market and these, these last couple months here worth of auctions that you, that you may have watched here?
2: Well, as you both know, I can talk about this for hours. Um, yeah, nice laugh there, Nate. Uh, Casey, two years ago, we started talking about market transparency. Right. <clears throat> um, and we need to embrace market transparency. Uh, I, I think that uh, the auctions of December 2018 or 2017 are, uh, are testament to market transparency. And I think if we would talk to most people that were either at the auctions or I know you were at the, the Sinclair auction, uh, uh, Casey, I don't think there was a lot of wholesale buyers there. I think there were a lot of people there, a lot of wholesalers there, but not a lot of wholesale, wholesale buyers. Um, with that being said, nay you're exactly right. Um, our customers are becoming more and more educated. They're becoming more and more emboldened and, and that's not a bad thing. It's going to, uh, it's, it's it, market transparency is never bad. It, 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 it's just who can adjust to it. And, um, I think that's something we all need to look at and, and learn from and and figure out how to utilize transparency in the market as a strength for ourselves. But uh, um, I think that we would all say, and I, I wasn't at the auction today, but I did watch a little bit of the auction today in Hamilton. And I would say uh, the majority of those buyers there on the lease, the, the tractors and combines were retail buyers. And uh, if they're retail buyers, that's what the market is. And it's painful to hear that sometimes I had some equipment on the auction today, really It's painful to hear that, but, um, hopefully we learned from those lessons and, uh, and become better buyers ourselves and better sellers ourselves in, in, in the end from it.
0: Yep. Internet's not a joke, man. It yeah. has shrunk the world down to the point now where you can do what you want to do on the internet and how we start engaging our customers moving forward is going to be driven by what they can or can't do on the internet. And right now they can do whatever they want on the internet. And so we as dealers, we need to adjust to that. And, you know, John, you and I have had several conversations about, you know, how what the face of the of the dealer equipment world is going to look like in the next three to five years. And every one of our conversations end up revolvering around people's ability to do whatever it is they want to do on the internet. And I think that you're right. I mean, we're, yeah, there are jockeys and wholesale buyers at these auctions and they're looking at this stuff, the end user is as much of a competitive buyer at the at the auction as as we are or any other wholesale buyer is. So I'm starting to think maybe that there's a, uh, maybe customer demand of, of, of the way they buy at the auction. Maybe they like that. Maybe they like the way their interaction is with the auction, you know, they don't. And, and But they're also buying a machine at the auction as is, whereas the way it sets and whatever financing they get is what they get and there's no extended warranties and there's no martin sullivan or ernie williams or 21st century equipment standing behind that piece of equipment if something were to go wrong
2: you the, know, best, so. the best thing to the cure uh secure option numbers is, is uh <clears throat> in line supply and demand and i think we all know we're still we, we still have some supply and demand issues in certain pieces adar tractors uh, drill tractors in general Uh, some combines in general, and and we're seeing that. I mean, I I think that we all have looked and watched these auctions. There's not a whole lot of planners, late model, high-spec planners, just as we talked about on the auction. They're not out there. And if if there's planners out there, they're not going to put them on auction because those are retail pieces. Mm -hmm. So this is still pretty uh, pretty much a direct result of of some supply and demand issues that we're still, uh, you know, possibly working through from two and three years ago. If supply and demand gets in line, uh, you know, auction buying will slow down because I can tell you I didn't take a whole lot this year as it, it, compared to years past. I can pretty much say that neither one of you two took as much into auction as you have because you have less inventory. So it, it's one of those things. that people still working through some supply and demand issues.
1: Yeah, talking about our inventory mix and things like that. What you, you know, in in your head, you're thinking, oh, I want to have X amount of dollars of inventory because that produces X amount of used turn, right? And CFO is happy and everybody's happy because you're generating cash and all this fun stuff, right? But in the meantime, you got this piece. You drive by every single day when you pull in the lot and you're like, God, I hate that tractor. God, I hate it. I hate it. Why won't it sell? And you just cuss this tractor and you sit and you watch it go by, you know, the price erode on you. In the meantime, you're watching on auction time and maybe John's got a tractor on there. And you're like, crap, I'd love to have that tractor. And we, we, my goal is to get better at saying, let's cut bait on this one and let's go buy that one. Mm-hmm. And that's odd because now you're dragging in a tractor from Illinois, which, you know, that's part of the great state of Illinois. And now somebody, the, your customer is going to have the mindset, well, where would that tractor come from? Well, it came from Illinois, you know, and they are be like, ah, you know, and um, you know, I've literally looked at guys that's like, hey, that's where I grew up, you know? Um and so it's kind of this mindset, uh, I think our mindset as dealers is gonna have to change a little bit to cut bait on the one that maybe we don't like as much. I mean, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with it, it's just for some reason it hasn't it hasn't sold, right? It's been a year or whatever, or six months or nine months, or whatever, like a real plan to go, hey, at nine months this thing's gone and we're gonna go try to replace it with something else. Cause you gotta sell something. Um you gotta generate a certain amount of cash or a certain amount of revenue um and so maybe in 18 we we get better at that as as a group um so that, I mean, that was one of my goals that i wrote down for myself uh here a few weeks ago was accepting that that piece maybe just just needs to go bye bye and then uh, i need to go replace it with something else you know
0: yeah i mean you're looking at equipment now that's it's all commodity now it is what it is it's a it's a i, I think we've and the internet's kind of done that, I think, to a large part. And you guys, correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but I think that the internet has made farm equipment a very much a commodity now. It's it's not a, it's you know there is some things tied to those machines that are local trade-ins. If they come from that that you know that one customer guys look up to, and and that's the customer that that people really respecting the community and, and those kind of things that that machine does sell faster I don't i don't you can argue one way or the other if it brings me more money or not but you know those outside of those machines though the rest of those are just a just another s-series combine or another another 30 series tractor or whatever it is so when you guys are looking at your inventory are you do you feel similar to that or do you feel like maybe there's there's still some of that Premium that gets laid to to certain pieces of equipment, um, and and the commodity thing is just me not thinking correctly.
1: I, in my opinion, it just depends on the piece. Um, I mean, if it's a, I'm salty on like lower horsepower row crop tractors right now. Um, I just that's just a really slow moving piece right now, and I feel like they they are very commoditized. Um, you know, if you want a 12 or a 13 S670, yeah, they're commoditized. But there are pieces that you get excited about, and I think you just got to try to find the balance. But, I mean, and it's up here, you know, there's not a lot of cattle, it's, it's a lot of road crops. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a hobby for farmers when the ground freezes, is riding around at different dealerships and going and looking at stuff. So um, you can pretty much tell on Monday morning how many beer cans are in the lot by how busy it was on Sunday or Saturday. Um, so it, I mean, you can. The internet coupled with farming is not the way that was, you know, 25 years ago with people that had livestock. I think it has commoditized the equipment business. I,
2: I would, I would probably on this one. I'm probably going to disagree with you both a little bit, not not a lot, but a little bit. Uh, you know, if you look at the ones where once went against the supply and demand, we're oversupplied in the market too. If we look at it from a macro level, it, it can be done. There can be some tendencies of, commodity, of commoditizing that product, but really, I, I, I don't feel farm equipment is a commodity. I just believe uh, our customers are better informed, better buyers. They have more information. They have better networks at their at their fingertips today, and that's that's uh, allowed them to. Have a little bit more control in how they buy equipment. Uh, um, I, I really believe that uh, that there's still value out there in farm equipment. I, I, I truly do. If I if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be in this job right now. Um, it's just finding ways to to meet our customers' needs, and uh, and our customers' needs are changing. Um, and with the internet, they're they're able to just be better. Um, they're, they're they're so there's our customers are very well networked just like we are too today I mean here we are uh, ten years ago we wouldn't have a podcast out there talking about farm equipment uh, used farm equipment uh, issues uh, you know we're we're becoming better too but uh, our customers they just have a lot a lot of power they have a lot of networking power. That helps them be better. So, would I call things commodities? No, because I still think there's inherent value in John Deere farm equipment. Um, uh, I think it's the best product out there, and uh, has the best value in the long run for our customers. But um, we just need to find a way to to match what our customers'
0: expectations
2: want and needs are. That's tough.
0: No, well, I, I agree with that that part of your statement that that there is definitely we sell the way I look at farm equipment, way I look at our customer race is that when I take that piece of equipment and I'm selling, I'm not just selling a tractor or a combine, we're selling them a, a solution to their business, right? And that that part of it is not the commodity, commodity, commoditization part of it that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the supply and demand side of it. When one, if they see one piece out there, um, cause let's be honest, I mean, you were, the customers we, when we're out talking to guys and whether I'm, I've talked to you guys or whoever I talk to, when you just start looking at used equipment and customers look at them, they're very specific now about that used piece that they're going to buy. Very specific. They want certain specs. They want certain hour ranges. They want certain tires. They want for that machine to do certain things, and they're not in a hurry to buy it. Now, that goes back to the supply and demand side of it is that there's enough of whatever I'm looking for out there that I can, I can play that game for a little while until certain pieces come along and the way they're looking at it too it's more of a a long-term investment now than it was maybe five years ago where they were take this tractor use it for the season and they're going to get a new one in the the following season or the, the following season after that you know within a one or two year cycle so now they're looking long term and they're looking at how that's gonna how all that stuff's gonna play together and you're right john there there is a um there's definite value in, in used equipment. And I think that there's how we meet our customer needs. Just like you said, we're, we're selling a solution, yeah. whether it's, you know, the rate that they can, they can apply fertilizer to their field or grid sampling or whatever it is. We're selling, we're, we're selling a total solution. And that starts with everything our dealerships have to offer from the parts service part all the way through the equipment and no you know integrated solutions Then of it all right so 17 is almost over here we've got about three days left before we before we bring it in ring in the new year here so what is your outlook for 2018 and what is one thing you did in 17 that you're not going to do again in 18. well
1: i the one thing i probably for us as a dealer is probably doing a better job of managing managing our own customer base like making sure we're part of we're on the deal so to speak um and not that we do a bad job of it but i've gotten really excited about if a piece of equipment's in the shop do we know whose it is do we know why it's in there do we know what the estimate how much the estimate's going to be and have you talked to the guy about whether you're better off trading or not and that in 18 is like my drum that um, I beat every time I go to a different location, I'd really start dragging around salesmen through a shop and have them tell me the history of that piece that's in the shop. I mean, it's the best place for us to go find sales, especially if it's got a big bill tag to it. Um, so that's probably my biggest. I'd, I'd say that's got it. That's got to be my biggest thing in 18 that we we've got to get better at. Um, actually, guys, with the new 6000 globe and the Ford 640, that's going to be a better market for us too. That's an exciting market. So uh, we'll probably put a little more emphasis on that precision market um, in 18 than we did in uh, the previous year, Just just because there's a new exciting product, I guess. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's just about Taking care of the customers, you know, if what finding a solution is more than just uh, making their far more efficient. Maybe it is a cash flow thing, or maybe it's helping them out with a service bill or something like that. Um, I, I think those are conversations, more in depth conversations, we're going to have than the old days of the guy just comes in and says, "I want that tractor." Uh, we'll have to have better conversations with our customers, um, and to me, it all starts in the shop, but um I'm, I'm passionate about that that side of the of the business i guess you'd say so um i i think that's where the best opportunity Cause like. a lot of stuff's getting a lot of hours on it and guess what
2: it's going to break so that, that's our opportunity for us um uh, you know Nate, you kind of hit on it i would i would i would agree with you completely on the customers and you know where we look at it's uh it's just uh becoming more engaged and connected with our with our customers our core customers um you know as our as as the market continues to shrink as the internet helps shrink the market and as everybody becomes a viable uh becomes the viable solution provided for that customer we need to be more connected with our customers um, locally and uh we're going to work on being more connected with our customers locally to make sure that uh, we're top of mind um, that's that's our that's our main plan in 18. um uh, one thing I'd say that we probably need to work on, probably a little bit better. and I think we've all all got a piece of this uh, as we work through this letting process of uh, getting rid of used and focusing on on certain markets that we were maybe overstocked in. We might have uh, lost focus with some other markets and some other parts of the business, and uh, well, we're going to really, you know, sit down this year and make sure we're looking at the wholesale department and not just saying, "Hey, we got." way too many row crop tractors or way too many combines. lines you know a lot of our inventories are in line this year so instead of just saying we're going to focus on this one product line and get it and get it right now we can sit there and say okay we're going to focus on the total the total uh complete goods uh, uh offerings we can we can give to the customer and and not just be very polarized in one in one part of the business or another um really really take more of a uh, a uh, a complete approach of saying, okay, you know, when we go visit uh, this customer, um, you know, there might be more solutions than this to use combine. Because last the last three years, that's probably all we went and talk to them about was use combines, use combines, use combines. And uh, and now we we believe we can go out and talk about everything that uh, that
0: the dealership offers and hopefully offers some more value. Kind of echo... What both of you already said, but to me, I think I'm gonna have uh, getting sales guys that I work with to understand, yeah, understand the customer's cash flow situation that they're in. So, like Nate, like you were talking about. So, I've had the conversation several times with um, our sales guys. You know, when there's a guy out there that's got a a large recon bill on his on his or shop bill on his uh, piece of equipment in the shop, that's a great opportunity for us to sit down there and talk to him and, and understand where it is they're coming from from a cash flow a cash flow perspective right so trying to understand that trying to maintain that trying to manage that trying to be their partner trying to make sure that we're are we are right there and in in front of them as much as we can just and just like you said you know it's a it's a it's a broad based deal every aspect of our business has to come through with that every aspect of what we do now is so technologically driven whether it be the you know the integrated solution stuff we're doing with uh, precision farming, um, writing prescriptions, looking at grid sampling, doing all those things that we do now that we offer our customer base. All those things bring benefits to our customers that we have to have them help them understand. And I think moreover we have to help we have to educate lenders as much as we do um, producers now. How do we connect? the The producer and the lender together, and have that same conversation across the whole platform, right? I think for us, what I'm going to take away from 17 that I that I hope I don't do again is that my focus for for the past three years has always been so much on we've got to get rid of equipment, we got to get rid of equipment, we have to be to a certain point, we've got to be to a certain point that I lost track of making sure ourselves guys have margin opportunities out there, and it's not everything is just not some dead dog. So, you know, moving forward, like I said, we're inventory issues that we have or lack of inventory. So it's just making sure that we have the right machine at the, at our dealerships at the right time. And all of those things have to, have to come together. But at the same time, you have to be able to trade for a piece of equipment and not bury yourself in it to the point that you can't get out of it, you know? So, um, it's a, it's a fine line that we walk, but you got to figure it out.
1: I was going to say, plus interest rates are going to go up, what, another whole point this year. So, when I mean, you're talking guys that got a million-dollar line of credit or a half-million-dollar line of credit. I mean, that's – what is that? That's, uh, what, 10000 bucks, right? So, I mean, you're going to have money get sucked out of their wallets, and it has nothing to do with crop prices or anything else. I mean, that's money coming out of wallet constantly just from rising interest rates.
0: So- well guys, I think we've covered it here. So do either of you have any last parting thoughts you'd like to throw out there before we shut it down?
2: Your real estate taxes and buy Bitcoin, man. <laughs>
0: Bitcoin. There you uh,
2: go. Uh, uh, in that uh, case, I just wanna wanna wish everybody a uh a safe and prosperous two thousand eighteen and uh um Appreciate all of the relationships across the industry we have, and we've we've gotten off of this podcast. So thank you very much.
1: I'm gonna say it's something I look forward to every week. So appreciate it, man. Um,
0: well, you no, know, I want to say the same thing. Uh, 2018. Hope everybody has a great one, and I appreciate everyone's support. And I didn't really think this would ever take off. So I appreciate everybody being involved with this, and and uh, I look forward to uh, 2018. So thanks, guys.
2: See you. Thanks, man. Take care. Thank
0: you. Yep. That's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Nate and John for being guests on this episode. Remember, if you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC now has a website you can visit, MovingIronLLC.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas past and present episodes of moving iron podcast and articles from moving iron blog throughout the year there will be guests bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view if you'd like to support the podcast you can leave a review and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and if you shop amazon please use the amazon click through at movingironllc.com it won't cost you anything and you'll still have the same experience you're accustomed to while supporting the podcast you can find this podcast at itunes Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.